In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So <clears throat> Sundays, uh, we've been talking about Sundays and what they can do for us. And so I want to say that Sundays can change your eternity, the rest of your life, forever and ever and ever. And it happened to me a long time ago. <clears throat> A long time ago, <laughs> it started to feel longer and longer, right? Um, but if you can, turn, turn in your church Bibles. You should have one near you, page 509. And this is a little bit of, uh, I'm trying to be a little bit redundant here because I want us to get some of this stuff into us. Page 509 in your church Bibles. Um, it's a little bit past the middle. So if you open your Bible to the middle and go about a quarter inch farther, um, there it is. And this is... Uh, uh, Isaiah 58, chapter 58, verses 13 and 14, which we've been reading every week, I think, for, for the past few weeks. And it says this, if you call the Sabbath, this day of rest, right? If you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's day, holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or, 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 or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord and will and I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land. Sort of up, an, an uplifting idea, right? We've been talking about getting this rest and, and all this kind of stuff. We've been talking about finding order in our life through this restfulness, through refueling, through refocusing, all beginning with our, our, our Sunday of worship, our corporate, this, ga- this corporate gathering of worship together, what we're calling our Sabbath, our day of rest. And, you know, we, we hold that lightly. We know that that wasn't always on a Sunday. We get that. We're not making any, you know, a definitive statements. But it is nice when a community of people can consider that day together and, and kind of do it together as, as a community. So if you can, try it, right? Um, but today I want to begin by asking the question, why is the whole church experience so important and why is it so powerful? Because it can be powerful, right? Why does the church exist? And how did it come to be? How did it come into existence? Right? You know, we can't answer that, all that stuff, you know, in like 20, 30, 40 minutes. We can't do that. But we can get far enough into it that it'll, it'll help. I think church was God's idea from the very beginning. I think it was definitely God's idea from the very beginning. Church is, just means a gathering of people uh, that, you know believers that come together and worship and and know God together, right? When we understand why God loves the church, how much he loves the church and why he loves the church, we not only start to love the church more, but we love God even more. All right, let me say that twice. When we understand why God loves the church, we begin to love the church and then we even love God even more. God wanted, I believe, to there to be a church because he loves you. He loves me. He loves all of us, right? And we need this. Church, the ecclesia, right? The, the gathering of God's people for worship, for word, for fellowship is a good and healthy thing. Now, I want to stop there just for a moment and say that, you know, I had a meeting with somebody this week, not from this church, but um, we were talking over breakfast and stuff and and I just noticed that they were a believer, but I noticed in their lingo, and, and I believe me, I'm, point, I'm not pointing the finger only. Whenever you point the finger, there's three fingers pointing back at you. So I hear myself in this person. And they were saying, 
you know, every, every statement was very negative about the church. It wasn't overly negative, like the church stinks and blah, blah, but it was just sort of very highly critical, sort of in this very vague and palatable way, right? And I just started thinking, we need to start thinking about how we think about the church. The church is God's creation. God loves the church, right? It's an important thing, right? And, and so I'm starting to think, how do I communicate to the outward world and to you guys about the church? It's an important thing. So anyway, but um, pick up a Bible for a moment. Just hold it in your hands. Thumb through it. Hold it. Look at it. I want you to like physically have that present in front of you. Um, this is an ancient document, right? It's been around a long, long, long time, right? Its earliest chapters were written by this Jewish Egyptian guy, Moses, about, you know, 3,500 years ago. And the story sort of spans much more time than that. As a matter of fact, it spans all time. It covers everything. The story of the Bible is the story of the church, 66 books written over a 1,500-year period uh, from three different continents in three different languages by more than 40 unique authors whose backgrounds range from like being prophets to peasants, from apostles to kings. Pretty incredible. If you just look at the writers of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? Matthew, we know, is a government employee. Mark, we know, I think, is just a missionary. Luke was a medical doctor. And John was a fisherman, if I'm not mistaken, right? These guys were in, there was an incredible chasm, an incredible gap between their background, their culture, their education, uh, you know, of all these authors that writ, wrote the scriptures. Yet the Bible stands as one story, one thread, one theme running all the way through it from Genesis to Revelation. It's an amazing piece of work. Not something that they could have done through all that time. No, they couldn't, like they were, like people were dead. They couldn't get together and say, well, how are we going to work this out? You know, it, it is an amazing, amazing thing, the, the scripture. I'm reading through it, as, as I've told you, I'm reading through it from start to finish right now. And uh, it's doing wonderful things for me. Now open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Just look at it. Sometimes I think we don't even open it, right? <laughs> we don't even open it. We don't even look at it. And I remember when I first started looking at the scriptures, like words on the page, when I saw these titles, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and I, and I started to really read those words, how impactful that was to me. So I'm trying to get us to understand and grab hold of it and read it, right? Um, so Genesis chapter 1, just open there, right there. It's the very first chapter of the Bible, the very first book of the Bible. Um, I'm not going to read it to you, but I'll just summarize the story. It begins, obviously, with creation, right? The whole created order after creating the sun and the moon and the stars and, and you know, all that, all that stuff, throwing it up in the sky. God stort, sort of constructs a perfect place on earth, the Garden of Eden, remember, and he populates it with animals and plants, and it's wonderful. My wife and I were talking yesterday about what, what, how wonderful it's going to be to see creation when Christ comes back and restores the earth. It's, it's just going to be absolutely wonderful. We're, we're backpackers. I, you know, we were, she read this book about, um, what do you call it? Um, it's called A Walk in the Woods about, about the Appalachian Trail, which I hope to do someday from start to finish. And it's the longest trail in the world, if I'm not mistaken, the backpacking trail in the world. And they said, you know, Pennsylvania used to have like these giant chestnut trees all over the place. They're all gone. They're all gone. There's so many species of birds in Pennsylvania alone that have just 
been, they're, they're gone. They're not here anymore. Songbirds. Could you imagine going back three, 500 years ago and hearing the songbirds in the Pennsylvania woods different than it is now, right? Sometimes you walk out there, it's fairly silent. That's a shame. Creation is wonderful. Creation is beautiful. God spoke all this about, right? And in the midst of this paradise that he creates for Adam and Eve, he places these people, right? Adam and Eve, obviously, our first parents, right? The first people. And what we see there is God is building a family. It shows his heart, doesn't it? A little bit. The man and woman, you know, are all a part of that family. And, and at the end of chapter one, he creates, uh, God makes Adam. He creates Adam and he says, it's very good. He's very good. It's very good, this creation. That's encouraging to me. In the middle of chapter two, when God made Eve, uh, you know, Adam called her woman because, you know, this is the bone of my bones and the flesh of my flesh. I love my wife. I love her. Don't always get along with her, <laughs> but I do love her. And when I read this stuff, it reminds me, this is what God is talking about. This is wonderful stuff, right? Wonderful stuff. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Adam and Eve lived in this perfect, wonderful paradise. They were intimate with each other. They were naked and unashamed, unashamed, right? You think nakedness is bad? No, it's not bad. They were unashamed at that that moment, right? And that intimacy, that emotional intimacy, that connection uh, extended all the way to God himself as part of his family. There was no break there. we, We enjoyed it. Turn a few pages now into Genesis chapter three, verse eight, where it says that God walked in the garden in the cool of the day. Think about that. God walked in the garden in the cool of the day. So here these people are in this garden and God's walking with them, walking around the garden and in the cool of the day. They, they get to enjoy that. They, it seems like he did it maybe on a regular basis just to be around them, to be with them. That's a great picture. Genesis 3 is, is only the third chapter of the whole Bible, of the whole book of Genesis as well. But it's, it's the defining moment of the story. It really is. It's the rising action which makes the rest of the story absolutely necessary. So Adam and Eve, who had freedom to choose anything that they wanted, right, chose the one thing that God asked them to avoid. If you turn back now to Genesis 2, verse 17, Genesis two seventeen, it says that they ate from the tree... God had labeled the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which was an act of willful disobedience towards the Lord, right? An act of willful disobedience. We've all been willfully disobedient. There's no secret to that. We know we have. In some way, at some time, maybe daily, you know, we are willfully disobedient either to God or to somebody else. You know, our kids have been, if you have kids, you know this, right? Sandy, you're perfect. But Tanner's not. No, where is he? No. Tanner can take the joke. Um, I'm kidding, Tanner. Um, but Adam and Eve willfully disobeyed, which fractured this relationship, fractured their family, right? It broke it. Along with this perfect relationship that they had with God, it, it broke it, it fractured it. Suddenly, and it's interesting, they were naked and ashamed. Not unashamed, but now shame came into their relationship. And it's funny how that 
physical shame comes in. And if you turn back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, it says that when God came to walk with them, what did they do now? They didn't walk with him. They didn't enjoy him. They hid from him. They hid. They were ashamed. That's what this did. Because of their sin, their family relationship with God was now broken, and there was nothing they could do about it. Nothing they could do about it. God is perfect. What the Bible refers to as sinless. And they were now sinful. So like oil and water, they can't, the two can't mix any longer. The relationship is a mess. Once you become imperfect, right? You can't become perfect again. Imperfection means you're not perfect. It's like getting a question wrong on a test. You can get, you know, one question wrong and nine right, but you're still, you've still got nine out of ten. You don't have ten out of ten. You haven't, you haven't gotten it perfect. If I spit in your iced tea, you're going to pour your iced tea out. You're not going to drink it, right? Even though there's a tiny bit of my saliva in that iced tea, it really doesn't, you know, dissipate into all of it. You're still going to pour it out. That iced tea is no longer serves its purpose. If you drink it, you're gross, by the way. But it can't be extracted again, can it? Once it's in there, it can't be extracted. Can't be taken out. And God's family was now fractured. It was fractured. It was broken. And there was no changing that. There was no changing that whatsoever. Fortunately, God cares about this. He cares about us. He cares about his family. He cares about humanity. And since they couldn't repair their loss, he set out to repair it for them. This is the story of the gospel. And that's, that's the rest of the story from Genesis chapter 4 all the way to the end of the very last book of the Bible, Revelation. The story of God restoring his family to himself. And Revelation is the story of God restoring his family to a perfect world. And this is our story. This is humanity's story. We are in it together. It is the story of the church. It's your story. The theme of the Bible is God restoring his family. That's what the theme is. That's the whole theme. He's restoring his family so that we can relate to him either through faith or, and, and also uh, in love towards each other that we can act as a family. Turn to page 725 now in your church Bible. It's page 725. And I want you to focus on a very simple verse that you probably know already. Page 725. It's John chapter 3, verse 16 uh, it's the same one that they have on the end zone, on signs on the end zone, or at least they used to when I was a kid uh, at football games. I, I am not an evil person, so I don't watch football. No, I'm just kidding. I just don't watch football. I don't like it. Um, but I remember that as a kid. They had this, people would hold this sign up. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. You know, and, and in this verse, we see it's this, that it's the, this is the story of an incredible God who... So now think about this. This is so different, so absolutely, uniquely, powerfully different than all of the religious thought in the whole world. This sets Christianity apart. There is nothing like Christianity in this world. Nothing. 
No philosophy, no, no religious thought, anything like it, like Christianity. This is absolutely so different, right? It says, God, who so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Genesis 1 sets the context for our story. God made us. He placed us in this perfect world, right? We unmade ourselves. We messed this up and that, and that we messed up that perfect world by doing the one thing that God asked us not to do. Now turn to the second book of the Bible, Exodus. It's page, we're on page 38 of your Bible and I'm not, I'm not going to ask you to read anything. I, I, there's a, a lot's happened here in the, in the chapters of Genesis. You know, we've, uh, God's chosen his people, you know, beginning with Abraham. Uh, you remember he's blessed Abraham to be a blessing to the rest of the world. He wants him to uh, be a blessing to all the nations, all the people groups, all the ethnic groups of the world. Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17, and all that stuff. So there's a lot that happens in the book of Genesis. And without going into more of that history, we start with Exodus, where God's people are living in slavery, in Egypt, right? They're, they're living in slavery. But as, prom, as promised to Abraham, God's family uh, is going to be this blessing to ever. He's going to reintroduce this family to every nation of the world. So in Exodus chapter 3, he calls Moses to liberate the people and lead them to the land, to, to the land that they can call their own, right? The promised land. And this story is so dramatic, is so wonderful that Hollywood recreates it, you know, time after time. We have the Ten Commandments, the Prince of Egypt, I'm sure there's others. And, and, and God uses Moses to lead the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, if you, know, if you remember these stories, into the wilderness of Sinai. Some of you don't know these stories anymore. We don't have this tradition that's, that's, that's feeding these stories to our people any longer, Right? If you don't come to church, if you don't read your scriptures, you lose these stories, and that's a shame because this is the story of humanity. And there at Mount Sinai, when they're out there, right, in the wilderness, God delivers the law to Moses, God's law, the Ten Commandments, right? And, and, and give, it's given because he wants them to learn, again, what it means to live as a family. What are our standards? How do we operate? How do we live? in relationship to God and relationship to each other. And remember last week we heard that the Ten Commandments are found in Exodus chapter 20. It's a very important chapter of the Bible. And on page 52 of your Bible we find Exodus 20, right? If you want to turn there really quick. Exodus 20 verses 2 and 3. And this is the first commandment of the Ten Commandments which says, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, how do you think about that verse? I thought about this this morning. I was in the prayer room and I was praying before church. How do you think when you hear that? I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, do you think of it as I am the Lord? You know, like this bra, you know, this ominous, big, heavy, scary thing? Or, Sana, come here for a minute. My beautiful daughter. Or... Do you think about it like this? Oh, I am the Lord your God. I don't want anything to come between us. I am the Lord your God. I don't want anything, anything, anything ever to come between us. Is that how you think about it? <laughs> that was really, she said that was really cute. 
Is that how you think about it? Is that how God draws you in? Because here's the secret. It is both. (laughs) I should feel some sort of a weight from my God. Because I got to respect that. But I also should feel that embrace. God wants to be the father of his family. He wants to be the father of his family. So then we go on to Leviticus and then Numbers and then Deuteronomy and Joshua and Judges and Ruth and and Kings and Chronicles and all this stuff. And all of these tell the history of God recreating his family, establishing his family. First, he teaches the Israelites what it means to live with God as their father with no other gods before them, right? Not coming between them. Then God introduces the other nations to, to Israel and they're taken into captivity in, you know, with, uh, in Assyria and then Babylon and then Persia. And under the Persian king Cyrus, you remember this, they're allowed to return to their own land and where they're, they're eventually conquered by the Greeks and who bring their language to the region as a, this whole uh, universal trade language. And then they're conquered by the Romans. And, you know, they bring, you know, this road system and these, like, like all these improvements and rapid transfer, transportation and, and more communication in the land. And then if, you, if you'll turn with me, be patient, turn with me to page 796 in, in, in the Bible there. And these, these, if you haven't turned anywhere yet, turn to this one. This is an important set of verses. We're fast-forwarding all the way to the New Testament book of Galatians, all right? Specifically to Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. Galatians 4, 4 and 5, where the Apostle Paul explains this. This is page 796. He says, but when the set time had fully come, In other words, God has been thinking about this. There is a time that he's thought about. There is a perfect time that he's established. So when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship, that we might be made family. I like that Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, bears the title God's Son. It fits this family theme as he originates from God the Father. He comes straight from God. God's restoring his family. And after centuries of preparing Israel for this, and then the almost universal language of Greek coming into the, into the arena with the Roman roads and, and, and the peace of the Roman Empire and, and the, the ability to talk and to share and all this kind of stuff, God introduced his son into the world right at that right time. Think about if he came right now. I'm not sure it would have been the same. The stage was set at that moment for Christ to come in, right? It was ripe to explode in color across the canvas of the world. It was ripe. And we know the Christmas story, right? When the time had fully come, God sent his son through the Virgin Mary to a town called Bethlehem. The son came to earth as an absolute son of God and an absolute son of a woman, right? Fully God, fully man, Fully God, miraculously communicating to us about God and for God. And he was fully human so he could identify with us in every single way. And we could also identify with him. And during his ministry on earth, 
Jesus proved his divinity by healing the, healing the blind, healing the deaf, healing the lame, walking on water, feeding thousands with a, a few leftovers, if you remember the stories there, and teaching with unparalleled wisdom and authority. Nobody could match him. And crowds flocked to him, and they affirmed him. Must have been very interesting to be around at that time. And after training the 12 men that we know as the disciples, Jesus announced that he was going to build his church. Now he said it. And he predicted that the gates of hell wouldn't even, you know, uh, assault it or prevail against it, right? You know the next part of that story, the Easter story, right? Jesus' announcement about the church, uh, building his church, happens in Matthew 16, verse 18, Turn there for a minute, page 669 in your Bibles. This is an important one, too. It says, uh, you know, in Matthew, uh, if you remember, it's the first book of the, of the New Testament. It's the first book of the, the four Gospels. And it's the first to introduce us to the climax of the story, or what is to be the climax. Of the, in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus predicts that he's going to build his church. He says, and I tell you, that, that you are Peter, and on this, so he's speaking to Peter, obviously, and on this rock, I will build my church. I'm starting right here with you and, and these other guys around me. We are starting this thing together, and the, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So do you see a continuation of God's theme for us? The church is God's family. It's the group which, will, which we are going to spend the rest of eternity together, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Believe me, if you don't get along with me now, we better bury the hatchet now because we're going to be doing this for a long, long time, right? It's the truth. Look around you. You're going to see these people forever. Ever. 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 What's that from? I forget that movie. You know... Um, I'm sorry, I lost my place. Um, so he announces that not even the gates of hell would overcome it, gates of Hades, right? He's so adamant about this that nothing can destroy the church. It is such a wonderful, good thing. Nothing's going to destroy it. Nothing's going to bring it down. Drop down a little bit from Matthew 16, 18 to verse 21. Matthew 16, 21 says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed on the third day and on the third day be raised to life. So right on the heels of announcing that he's going to build his church, Jesus then predicts his coming death, his own death. And on Good Friday, we know Jesus was crucified on a hill outside of Jerusalem. And he died there proclaiming what? Do you remember? He says, it is finished. Somebody in this room has a tattoo of that on their back. I won't say who. John 1930, it is finished. And then he died. And if you were standing there, you know, what is finished, right? (laughs) What's finished? Doesn't seem finished to me. You just died, right? If you were standing there, you might have been like, ah, no, 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 no. Don't die yet. Explain that to me. What do you mean it's finished? What's finished, right? But with his dying breath, when he said that, Jesus was saying that through his death, God was completing the work that he needed to do to rebuild harmony with his people. 
the fracture which had resulted from the disobedience in paradise was being mended through this. The God who created our first parents was was making it possible for his children now to return to a family relationship with him once again. That's a great story. It's a great story. So how do people get restored to God's family? I think we've kind of lost some of this simplicity of the gospel. We've over-intellectualized things. We've gone way out on a limb. It is simply by what God's son, Jesus, did for us. That's it. That's it. He came to earth. He lived a perfect sinless life, which, which uh, enabled Jesus to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. Adam and Eve couldn't undo their sin. So instead of us trying desperately to work our way back to God to no avail, to get the spit out of our iced tea, Jesus paid the price for our sins. He extracted it. Like somebody, you know, might pay the fine for a friend who's going to jail and they can't afford to pay it themselves. He let us out. So turn back to page 725 in your church Bible. This is a simple verse. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Let's not lose the wonder of that. Jesus' sacrifice gives us access to God once again forever and ever and ever. I tell you that all of that to explain how the church came about and why it is so important to God and to you. The church is God's forever family the community in which he gathers his children together. It's a beautiful picture. The Bible says that this this, uh, family, the church, is open to everyone who would just do two simple things. Don't overcomplicate it. Two simple things. Turn a few pages back to John chapter 1, verse 12. Page 723, John chapter 1, verse 12, which says, Now, If you want to share your faith with somebody, highlight these verses. It says, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So you can become a child of God, a a part of God's family, if you simply believe and receive. That's it. Believe and receive. To believe in Jesus means to believe that he actually was and is the son of God who came to this earth and who died for my shortcomings, died for my failures, died for my lack. To receive Jesus means to invite him into my life, to live live in in me and, and, and to live through me for the rest of my life, to be my Lord and Savior. To surrender myself. That's all it means. Believe and receive. So you could become a part of God's family right now, which is why Sundays can change your life, can change your eternity. And I'm not stupid. Because I sat in many churches for many years, and I know people that have sat in churches for many years and never got it. So I wonder... How many of you are sitting there right now? 
How many of you? And you're saying to yourself, I don't know if I'm a child of God. I don't know if I'm part of the family. But if not, I want to be. Well, I I just want to tell you, I want to go back old school this morning. I want to go old school. I want to give you the opportunity to do that in just a minute. On Easter Sunday, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He rose from the grave because he was the son of God conquering death on your behalf for you. He had you in mind. And he did that because we couldn't get right with God on our own. We've sinned. We've done things that are wrong. And as a matter of fact, we have a sinful nature about us. And Jesus came to pay for all that, came to pay for all of our sins. I came to Christ at 21 years old. After trying to find meaning and solace in so many other ways of life, you know, whatever, you know, I chased a lot of things from, you know, it was a lifestyle that was very destructive. It was a lifestyle that it was very about me. It was very selfish. And I was aware at that moment when everything failed me, I was aware for my need for a savior. And, you know, that's not weakness in a sense of, you know, it is weakness in the sense of we're all that way. Pride tells us we're not. God had destroyed my pride. And I was aware that I could not reach out to God on my own. I couldn't do it. That my sin stood in the way of that relationship so much so that I just, I was blinded. And I I needed him to reach down and to save me. To do for me what I could not do for myself. I was so aware of that. I remember sitting in a church at one point wanting to go up and the guy was doing exactly what I'm doing right now, giving that opportunity to say that prayer and to come up and I would not go forward. I wouldn't do it. It wasn't until years later that I actually did that. When we believe and when we receive all the junk which once separated us from God, you know, uh, gets covered by Jesus' payment on our behalf. doesn't matter how you feel. It matters what truth is. You can be covered in that way right now. So I'm going to invite you to, and I invite everybody to pray with me, just to pray a simple prayer. And in doing that, you're, you're, you're just acknowledging your desire to become a child of God. It's not magic. It's an acknowledgement, right? It's, it's, it's even a surrender of your life. It's a marker which says, today you were born again into God's family forever. I remember the night when I got on my knees. I just hung up with my brother. He was sharing Isaiah 58 with me and other places in Scripture, Isaiah 57. And um, I hung up, and it hit me. And I dropped to my knees, and I gave my life to the Lord that night. I don't remember the date, but I remember my age, and I remember that moment. And those are important moments. So this is something you'd like to do, then... Pray this prayer with me right now. I really invite you to do that. Do it quietly in your head. You, you can, you can you know, pray it line by line. Uh, yeah, I'll pray that for you, and you can repeat it to, uh, to yourself silently. If, if you're not praying this with, with us right now, maybe you can be praying silently for the other people in the room to know Jesus fully today. So let me invite you. I might be silent for a moment as we prepare ourselves, but then I'm going to pray the prayer, and you can, you can just uh, repeat it yourself. Lord Jesus, I admit, I admit, fully admit 
that I am a sinner and I am in need of you. I am in need of a Savior. I am in need of salvation. I invite you to be my Savior. I surrender myself to you. I invite you to come into my life, to live through me, and I will do my best to live for you for the rest of my days. I give myself to you at this moment. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Open your eyes. I realize that we live on the main line. The main line is not too uh, apt to raise their hands or come forward or anything like that. And you may not want to do this, and I get that. And I, I don't even know if anybody in this room prayed that prayer right now. But if you did and you wanted to, you are welcome to raise your hand right now. If you did, if you are not, amen, sister. <laughs> give her, her a hug. Somebody just, hey, your husband's got to give you a hug. Amen. If there's somebody else that has not, uh, does not want to raise their hand, that is fine. You can come up with me. We want to celebrate those things, those moments, because they are important, important moments. But I want to talk to you right after the service. I definitely want to talk to you. Um, the Bible says that whenever one sinner repents that whenever somebody comes to Jesus that there is a party in heaven and we 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 acknowledge that right now that there's a party when somebody prays that prayer now let's learn from this I want you all of you here who've been walking with Jesus for many many years I want you to learn from this that it's it's not that complicated to lead someone to understand how to give their lives to Jesus Right today, today may be just there to prepare you to lead someone else to salvation in Christ. Pray for those opportunities, because we need this right now, more maybe more so than ever. We need to be sharing Christ with people around us. Some of you have been around this church for so long. You've been not just this church, but the church. You've been a Christian for years and years and years. Right? You've been around this this that long. You've grown weary in your walk. You feel like you've lost your way, right? You can't see straight any longer. You, you don't feel like you, you're experiencing Christ at all, anything like that. I want to pray for you right now. I really do. I want to pray for you to find your desire for Jesus once again. And if you want to, you can silently also follow, you know, uh, follow along with me as I pray. Let's go to prayer again. Holy Spirit, I know what it's like to walk with you to have dry times, to have what we feel like are dead times. Jesus, I feel lost. I feel numb. And I want to continue to follow you, but I can't help to say that I don't feel, I feel indifferent. My sin stands in the way of our relationship, of our fellowship. So I ask that you would take it. 
that you would take my sin from me, that you would forgive me one more time, nail it to the cross, be done with it. Uncover my desire. Uncover my desire. Clear away all of the debris that has been piled upon my desire for all these years. Clear it away. Blow it away. Uncover it. Ignite a passion in me once again to follow you wholeheartedly, 110%. Make me once again joyful. Make me willing to walk closely with you. And I ask this all in the name of your your precious son, Jesus. Amen. I know we feel that. I know we go through those moments where we feel that. And we can sometimes go through years feeling that. God's restoring his family. I want to suggest for you this morning to do four things. First of all, give her a hug, right? Right after church. Um, Encourage each other. And in the same light, encourage each other. Pray for each other to find your desire again. Like Vinny, Vinny and I were talking about in this one podcast, we listen, this white-hot faith. That's what we want, a white-hot faith. Pray for that for our church, everybody in our church. Number two, thank God that you are a part of his family. We're going into Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving's this week, right? I hope you have a great Thanksgiving, by the way. And be thankful as you go into that for what Christ has done for you. Be thankful for being a part of the church that is so wonderful. Number three, share your story with somebody that is not yet in the family. You know what I mean? Ask God to give you a chance, an opportunity to share how you become a part of God's family with someone who isn't yet a part of God's family, right? And if you ask, I I think he'll oblige. I think he'll give you those opportunities. So be ready to share. And then invite them to church. Invite them to church and be positive about your church. We have a great church. We really do. I really think we do. And number four, read chapters six and seven of your little I Love Sundays book this week. Who's this prayer person? There you go. Come on up. Uh, let me pray for us, and then, then Rachel's going to share a few things. Father, I thank you so much so much for what you've done, so much for what you're doing. We want more of you. We want more freedom. We want to we see your kingdom explode across this area, this region. We want to see people just coming to faith in you and finding freedom in you and, and finding reordering their, their lives being reordered and, and brought back together and healing happen all in you. So we pray that you would give us opportunity to share our faith with others. We pray that we would give, have opportunity to, to witness and to, be, um, to give your words to people, Father God. And we pray that you would make us passionate and desirous to follow you in these ways. We thank you for that.